0: Hello, and welcome to our podcast series on how to drive multi-channel success. In this series, we're looking to explore a range of issues which you and your business are faced with every day. We really hope you find the discussion useful, and we look forward to your feedback. In today's episode, we're going to explore one of the key drivers of success in today's multi-channel world, the subject of data, insights, and analysis. I'm David Warby from Prospero, and I'm delighted that joining me today is David Kahn from The Multi-Channel Expert. Hello. And Mark Pinkerton. Hello. Let's start this subject by just trying to get our heads round what we mean when we talk about data analytics and insight. What is the universe for data analytics and insights? Let's start with a rather weird question. Mark, what's it used for?
1: Data and analytics and insight, well, they produce insight, but data and analytics are really there within the e-commerce digital world to understand performance online so that we can maximise the potential on a day-to-day basis. It's there to help people make better decisions, and we use data and analytics to understand customers. What are they actually doing, and therefore how can we derive more value from them? It also provides business intelligence to the rest of the business about what's going on in digital, i.e. it's upward communication or sideways communication. But it also covers things like market intelligence, so qualitative information about what customers may or may not wish to do. And for me, I also think of data as being the bloodstream of intelligence systems. So if you have an automated solution that does anything in e-commerce, it's going to need data from somewhere.
0: Okay. Yeah. Uh, David, I'm going to come to you around the question about what is data, less from a kind of philosophical perspective, but more about what types of data sets do e-commerce businesses tend to use and where, where do they come from?
2: As Mark said, one of the key things that you're looking for is to understand how your website is performing. So there's a whole heap of what I call statistical measures which will look at your website. For example, page speed, number of pages visited, speed with which images are being rendered, etc. That's really important for understanding your website. There's also a whole range of behavioral data that you're gonna pick up from the way in which your customers are acting on your website. So uh, pages viewed, whether they got from the listing page to the product page, whether they added to basket, whether they particularly completed the purchase. These are all really important bits of data. So those are the more statistical things. But there's no reason you should restrict yourself just to the statistical or the hard data. There's plenty of soft data that can help you inform the decisions that you make. So, you know, you'll quite often be looking at an issue. You'll find out that the statistical data leads you in a certain direction. It tells you what's happening, but it doesn't necessarily tell you why it's happening. And that's where you can enlist qualitative data. So, in a sense, data is any piece of information That you can collect in in whichever way you collect it, but but that helps you take the decision, helps you understand what's going on in order that you can make the best decision and take the best action. Okay, all right.
0: Mark, some of us, particularly me, you probably grew up in an era where we didn't really consciously think about data. And I know you spent some of your career at a, an agency who made um, huge strides in analysing data and being able to provide a service to retailers. So tell me a bit about why data is important.
1: I, well, yeah, I mean, I spent 11 years collectively working for Logan, Todd Co, which was one of the very first sort of analytics based consultancies in the UK and really I would say that analytics is important because it takes you away from the HIPPO based decisions, HIPPO is the highest paid person's opinion i.e. what the top dog says, it takes you away from that and it takes you into the more scientifically rigorous world of having hypotheses, being able to test those hypotheses and then you try to determine whether or not your actions are successful using data so it's important because you get away from a whole bunch of contrasting opinions that people will have of things to a commonly understood measurement protocol which underpins decision making.
0: Okay, all right. So I think we've we've articulated what it kind of is and where it comes from, what we use it for, and maybe a little bit about why it's important. But David, I want to come to you just to understand the arenas in which e-commerce businesses tend to gather and utilise data. What is our kind of core understanding that we need to get to grips with using data?
2: The way that I've always tended to look at key data for e-commerce is to try and think of the sales funnel. So start with traffic, go into the website, and then look at the profit you make. That leads to three principal areas. The first is traffic. What are you getting from your existing customers? What do you understand about their behaviours are they repeat? Are they coming back enough? Are they spending enough? Have they left you? Are they about to leave you, Etc. Second aspect of that is new traffic. So customer acquisition, absolutely critical. Are you finding the new customers at the cost efficiency and with the volume that you want? The second thing is website conversion. Once you've got that traffic, what are they doing? And there is a vast array of data that you can utilize in order to understand how your customers are behaving, why are they exiting the site, why are they converting, what are they looking at, what are they like, etc., etc., etc. And then the third area is what you might call efficiency and profitability. How well are you converting the sales that you're making into profit? You might be looking at margin, you might be looking at availability, you should definitely be looking at supply chain and delivery costs. But those for me are the three big areas. Customers, conversion and efficiency.
0: Super. Mark, did you want to add anything to that list of core understanding?
2: I think the thing around customers is important.
1: We really need to look at the customer data. We're not just talking web analytics data here. We're talking customer data. So the lifetime value of the customer, how often do they shop with us, how how many things do they buy, so what can we expect from them? I think that tends to get ignored because that's often dealt with by the marketing person as opposed to the econ person but actually you've got to look at those two holistically because the the two things tie together and i completely concur in terms of the, the conversion rate and the optimization side of things there's a difference here between the data and exposing the data so that people can see what is happening and then the analysis layer in terms of actually saying okay i've got two things happening, is A causing B, is B causing A, or is something completely different causing A and B. So that analysis piece is potentially hugely powerful.
0: Okay. So we talked a little offline about the danger that maybe some businesses have fallen into of trying to track everything. And the danger there is that you're now grabbing data and you're owning data and you're manipulating data that has very little end use. So I'd like to now come on to the concept of how do you avoid creating work that has no net outcome and and David, we talked a bit before about having a perspective on the business from a very high point from which you can then drill down into the relevant bits of detail. Do you want to talk about
1: that a bit?
2: Yeah, I'm a great fan of the helicopter and the scalpel principle. The helicopter is the dashboard, it's the top level information that you're going to use on an ongoing basis to identify whether or not you're in line with your KPIs or whether or not you're behind your KPIs. What that's important for is helping you to focus on the areas where you need to dig into it in more detail and get the scalpel out. Whatever level you're in the organisation, you need to be running these sorts of dashboards that help you focus because the one thing which is a limited resource for everybody in e-commerce is time. You simply cannot afford to look at everything, so you've got to decide what it is you look at in more detail. When you look at things in more detail, the next level, the scalpel, that's when you might be digging in order to identify the issue that you're faced with. In some cases, the data that you'll be able to dig out will be statistical. In other cases, you may feel that that doesn't give you enough information, doesn't give you enough insight, and you may need to get more qualitative data. But, but ultimately, judgment is going to be required in all of these cases, but you need the data to be leading you in order that you can identify what you focus on.
0: So the way you've described that sounds like human capital is a vital component in the whole data story. You've got to have the data to start with but actually you need people to kind of do the work to uh, identify what insights are coming from that data. Yeah?
2: For sure uh, there's advantages to be had from automation. There are loads and loads of tools that can identify anomalies and that can point you in the direction that you want and you must have a range of automated tracking tools and regular reports that you consult on a regular basis but in my experience more often than not when you get into digging down into something you're going to want the data to be available and in some cases you may find actually you need to start recording data in a different way but for those more in-depth analyses you're generally going to need to be quite creative you are going to need that human capital that you described in order to get yourself to the point where you properly understand it and where you've got enough data and enough insight in order to more confidently make your decision.
0: So I've got my resources and I've got my data. I've maybe not necessarily got the data at this particular point in necessarily the right order. But Mark, how do I go about creating hypotheses from that? How do I, how do I understand that I should be running off down this avenue because here I'm suboptimal, as opposed to this avenue here where I'm arguably less uh, problematic? How do I make a, de- how do I make a decision on where to go first? given that I can't go everywhere at once.
1: Now, you're always going to be time-limited, that's true. In terms of which hypotheses to follow or how to create a hypothesis, which are your, effectively your two questions, the how to create the hypothesis is essentially use at your... Ex- that's old age. <laughs> old age, eh? Old age. Um, yeah, so in terms of hypothesis development, the only real way to do that is to have some knowledge and understanding of the field of which you'll, you're trying to create hypotheses around, and then to come up with ideas about what may be causing the issue that you've identified, or it may be an opportunity that you want to try and understand whether or not it is a real opportunity or not. So for me, those yeah. are the two main scenarios. On a day-to-day basis, the problem resolution tends to dominate within most econ teams, but actually in terms of Developing new functionality or developing new customer segments or whatever, the opportunity hypothesis is also potentially very powerful. And essentially, the hypothesis is a set of ideas that you are then trying to validate using data or to disprove using data. Mm. It may be, I'm worried that this channel is cannibalizing this other channel. Okay. That may be true. Let's go and see if the data supports that or not. But I also want to come back to one of the other points around the sort of helicopter and scalpel uh, analogy that David was using, which is that in order to get the right data, particularly with systems as they are now, with Adobe and with GA4, the way that they're now GA now configured it, you have to have a pretty clear idea of what you want to start measuring when you set the analytics up there is a there's two completely different skill sets within analytics one is having an implementation expert who understands the best way to actually extract the data that you want which needs a business person to be involved to say this is the data that i want and then you've got the analysis that an analyst will do which will say okay based on this i can tell you this hypothesis works or I can automate all these reports for you, or whatever other facilitation you want, knowledge transfer. And it's not one skill set, so there's, it's really hard to have one person who can
2: oversee everything you need to do within the analytics world.
0: Okay, well, we'll come to the old model in a minute. David?
2: You... One of the things I was going to add was a critical thing is magnitude, is how big is this issue or opportunity? It's probably the first question I ask when somebody raises something. The thing that you always got to try and identify as quickly as possible is how many people how many users does this influence how many interactions does it influence you may think something is a massive issue or or it may be something you're doing terribly but if it affects 0.01% of your user base it's not important on the other side of the coin where you only make a small improvement but it's affecting almost everything so I think one thing I would really advise always first thing you find out is how many people, how many interactions, how many transactions, whatever the mm. metric is, does it affect?
0: Yeah, I like the likelihood and probability and impact score. Oh, yeah, it's, which a, I it's think,
2: a criticality
0: basis, isn't it? Which, which, which I think will, will really help. And just one other thing I would add in here, we often hear this um, from clients we talk to, they get quite obsessed at times about benchmarking their performance against their peers. And therefore, when it comes to the funnel that you talked about, David, People have a very clear image of how their funnel is performing and actually feel sometimes comforted but also sometimes challenged by understanding how that compares with the market and the sector. And they'll derive deficiencies or successes from a comparison with a benchmark, which is sometimes difficult for clients to do because they don't necessarily know how their competitor set are performing But when we tip up, they often ask us to make a comparison between how effective and efficient their funnel is versus their cohort group.
1: But I would challenge that to some extent to say, are you a unique business or not? And if you're a unique business, then actually having competitor comparisons is is pointless because nobody's going to have the same funnel as you. But the other thing is, actually, if you're looking to optimise your business, you have a completely diverse set of data within your own sphere, so you have good weeks and bad weeks, and you can actually analyze the difference between your good weeks and your bad weeks to say, okay, these are my best weeks, why are they my best weeks, what's so great about them, and how can I replicate it? So there are always ways that you can draw comparisons, even if they're internal ones.
0: Okay. Let's move on to how, moving more towards the practical side now of things people could consider doing and maybe sometimes should consider doing. David, we we talked offline a little bit about beginning from the sales funnel and moving out from that and building out a plan from the customer sales funnel. Do you want to talk a little bit about that?
2: Yes, uh, for me there are three principal dimensions to the data that you really do require on an ongoing basis. So let's take customers as an example. We touched on existing customers, there are going to be some simple metrics that are really important for you. So retention uh, is a classic metric, which you really any business for whom customer retention is an issue, and it is for most, should have some measure of retention, whether it's customers who have shopped with you uh, in the last 12 months, or previously shopped with you, whether it's the frequency with which they spend, whether it's the amount they spend. If we're talking about traffic, again, there are a series of standard metrics which you really should have. Obviously, you've got the volume. If you've got a target, it's the extent to which you're performing well against that target. You've got the cost efficiency. Uh, How much are you spending through each channel? So, for each of the three areas that I touched on, you can build a simple dashboard at whatever level you are in the organisation that helps you keep track of your key metrics and helps you focus on the things that you should be spending more of your time on.
0: Okay, and a dashboard as a way of uh, managing action or as a way of communicating to others? What's your what's your preference or both? I guess.
2: Look, I think in any business there are numerous levels of people. Uh, at the top level you've got a certain number of statistics which need to be seen, need to be communicated and will help your CEO, for example, or your finance director understand at a high level how the e-commerce business is going. But if you're the PPC manager, you're going to have a different dashboard. The point is, it's something that is monitoring pretty well the whole scope of your activity, but it's doing it at a level that it doesn't overwhelm you, and it's doing it in such a way that it points you to the things where you should be spending more of your time right now. Okay. Yeah, and typically we've built dashboards for
1: clients in the past where they've been very heavily biased towards making sure that senior management understand the performance of the digital uh, commerce world and that's built on the KPIs that are associated with that and communicating those to senior management. Often you find at that level that there isn't an, an enormous amount of variability from week to week. You know The customer retention doesn't change that much from month to month, let's face it, because it's a long-scale, long-term KPI. But in a day, you know, on a day-to-day basis, PPC performance can be wildly radical.
2: So you end up with horses for courses. And, and one thing, again, that I thought that Mark has just sparked with me is dashboards are not permanent. Yeah? You know, there'll be periods in your trading history where some things become more important. Some things, it becomes more important to bring them to the forefront. Yeah, Maybe you might something have a supply chain issue, so availability ex-
1: becomes critical. So you put that into the...
2: E- exactly, and I think, uh, you know, never become <coughs> complacent about your dashboard because there's always a danger that something new or different may have happened.
0: Okay. Before we come on to the next section, which is really a little bit about the action you should be considering taking, some of the challenges that we've seen with people beginning to take action in this way. Mark, I know you just want to talk a little bit about the subject of GA4. Maybe at this point we might lose a load of our podcast listeners no, with we'll a well, rather I'll try, I'll dry and, subject. I'm
1: trying to try genericise it a little bit. The, you need to think quite carefully about the analytics platform that you are using to be the source of your data and you need to make sure that that analytics platform is set up correctly to extract the most insight and the most analytical capability that you are paying for. So for example if you go for a new e platform don't assume that your SI has actually set up the analytics correctly or if your performance marketing team are paying for the uh, Google Analytics don't assume that they will set it up for e commerce because nine times out of ten they don't. There's a big change, sea change going on at the moment whereby Google Analytics, it, its core technology base, or just its core technology basis from the old Universal Analytics to GA4. And GA4 works on a completely different basis from, from the old Universal Analytics. So you can't compare the two. You certainly can't compare the data between the two either. However, at a fundamental level there are massive problems with GA4 so part of the analytical community you know I'm seeing a lot of discontent with GA4 and I think it's important that non-technical audience is, is made aware of that so there's a, a very good quote from well-known analyst presenter called John Alderson and he's written that GA4 is absolutely non-designed garbage It's fundamentally unfit for purpose for either normal or power users. I won't go through the rest of the quote because it's actually more detrimental than, than, than those two sentences. But you know, there's, there's a big problem with GA4 right now that Google is not really recognizing.
2: And, and I think with that in mind, Mark, my, my sense is if you're using third-party tools, for example, uh, on-site search, your on-site search provider should be able to provide you with a load of information through their portal which is going to be incredibly useful for you in not only helping optimise the search tool but also in helping you understand the way your customers are shopping. I really think if GA4 is as bad as everybody says it is, it means you should put more pressure on those third party tools to supply you with great measurement, with great tools and with great insight because they are sitting on a load of your data. Yeah, but, but those are
1: isolated pockets of data in their own little silos and much of the benefit of analytics is actually by being able to put all of these things together and work out correlations of things. So people who search are more likely to convert than people who don't search, for example, is a, is a reasonably well-known um, truism in ecom. But if you don't have search tracking enabled in GA, and you've only got it coming through your, your search and merge tool, then you, you're going to really struggle to tie the data sets together. Yeah. Because they're I, operating I, I, on a completely different basis. So you need a, a universal uh, basis of truth to underpin things. And if you're having problems setting up that universal basis of truth, then you know, it's a significant problem. Sure. And, and the last point on that is GA And with Adobe, you actually have to specify what you want to record and work it out in advance of actually setting the tool up. So
0: David was suggesting that we find a way to use other data sources to tell us that. I think that's sensible. We'll come back to that in a minute. But if GA4 and Adobe are as bad as you're making them out to be, what should our listeners do? I'm
1: not saying Adobe is bad. I'm saying it operates and GA4 is now operating in a similar way, but it's not. It's an immature. It's not a ready. It's not a market ready product in its current state. But Adobe is. They have different. You know, you have to think about things a lot more and set them up in advance. Whereas the old Google Analytics that apply, everybody was universe. You know, they were just throwing it on every website, and it would by and large record ninety five percent of what you wanted, and then you could tweak it. Now you've actually got to think about things in advance, and then implement it, and then you'll start to get some analytics out of it.
0: Does that mitigate against agility and the ability to change the yes. plan? Okay, so it's not fundamentally flawed. It will do what you want, but I think I'm taking from what you're saying that you've got to think about it a little bit more. You've got to plan a bit further ahead and you've got to set it up with a plan in mind. Yes, I don't Rather do work in that way? It's less spontaneous.
1: Yeah, and, and it's an expensive tool and has uh, expensive resources to enable it to work. Google Analytics was you know, very widely understood and had a big audience and, and lots of people working on it, and we're now getting to a, a set where it's become a more, they're deliberately making it a more specialist tool okay. um, to support Google's advertising ambitions, I suspect. Okay,
0: so let's just move back to the point that David neatly segued us into, which is that there are probably, uh, when you begin to Uh, work out what you want to monitor, maybe some of the gaps in your own performance and deficiencies, you might stumble across the fact that you've got gaps in your data. A lot of you probably got a lot of third party tools running on your site and whilst you are clearly the data owner for elements of that, and we're not going to go there because that's a little bit too legal for today, the reality is you may have gaps in your data because that data sits sometimes exclusively with that third party. So what advice would we give our listeners, David, when it comes to how to navigate around that particular challenge?
2: I think for the larger retailers who are listening to this, then they'll be thinking very seriously about creating data lakes. They'll be thinking very seriously about their own data structure, what they can collect, how they can index it, how they can stitch it together in such a way that it enables the sort of queries that are gonna drive insight. For the smaller retailers, it's it's tougher realistically, and I think you've gotta be very pragmatic about things. You've gotta ask yourself constantly when you're trying to make a decision, when you're trying to understand something is, have I got enough data to confidently make this decision and take the action, or do I need something else? It may often be qualitative data, that is going to give you the greater level of confidence. The, The one thing I would say is critical. It's actually, however much data you've got, however much analysis, however much insight, you never know categorically what is going to happen until you do it. So whether you're large or small, if you are going to take definitive action across your whole site, or if you're going to take a test and trial approach, you must know what you're going to measure and you must measure it and you must look at that measurement at a certain time period after you've done it. That, that for me is probably the most important thing I can suggest about this, this whole podcast is, as I say, you never know what's going to happen until you do it. But the great thing about e-commerce is you can do things and you can see exactly what happens as long as you've set your measurement up correctly.
0: And I think on previous episodes you wisely advised people not to bet the shop on anything, and I guess that's partly true here. You've got the ability to segment and try something that isn't going to damage the whole infrastructure if it doesn't
2: work. Look, there's the, 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 you know part of being in the real world, part of being in a business, is sometimes you, you have to take definitive action. Let's say it's a, a weekend promotion when trading isn't going quite as well as it should be. But... If it's something where the degree of confidence is, let's say 50% or 60%, then absolutely do not bet the shop on it. Absolutely set up a way of testing it. Maybe it's an A-B test, maybe it's an A-B-C de- test. It. The key thing is whatever you do that is significant, make sure you're measuring it, you know what you're measuring, and you don't forget about it.
0: And I think also in that world where you have a test-and-learn approach, but you're using a third-party tool. We talked previously about making sure that the contractual agreement you have with that party allows you access to the information you want in order to help your decision-making process. So whilst we're not sitting here advising on a legal footing, from an operational perspective, if you're going to want to know how elements of that functionality are performing, make sure it's in the contract so you have the right to either ask for the insights from it or, as you mentioned in enterprise environments, maybe even taking the data from it. Okay, Um, penultimate subject here is GDPR. Mark, I know that the challenges that we're facing or our businesses are facing on the go forward are probably quite different from those that we faced in the past. Uh, but specifically in a future-looking cookie-less world, what challenges do you think are, are being faced now by, by retailers and brands?
1: Well, the the key thing is to understand the difference, really, and you know, we were talking off-mic um, off around cookies and the fact that particularly with... No, I'll start again. Cut. Reset. Um... For retailers, cookies have been critically important but hidden from them in many ways in that cookies have been critically important for customer acquisition i.e. performance marketing because it has enabled their agencies to have an understanding of where their audiences are across multiple different sites and to manipulate some of that audience to come to your to your website um, particularly through things like Facebook but the that is no longer going to be allowed and cookies are blocked by most of the browsers now so you are back to I guess the analogy of newspaper advertising uh, more in terms of how you attract people to your website and that is a fundamental difference in thinking for customer acquisition, which means that customer a, customer retention probably becomes slightly more important because you can't just drive more and more new traffic, and or the fact that the quality of the incoming traffic is probably going to be lower quality than it historically has been. So at uh, th- that sort of magnitude. Um,
0: and David, what are your thoughts? Yeah,
2: and, and I think, uh, you know, just building on the, the point you made about some of your third party suppliers some of your plugins holding data i think it probably makes it more important that you do try and stitch that data together so let's say you have a search provider you have a recommendations provider you might have a different provider who's doing your pop-ups all of these people are collecting first party data yeah they're collecting the data about the behavior of customers on your website okay so it probably becomes more important for you to try and stitch that together so you can build the best, widest possible picture of those customers and their behaviour. And if I hark back to my time at Heels, where we know that many customers embarked on a multi-visit journey before they got to their final purchase, something like that is critical because each time they arrive at the site, you don't necessarily want them to have to go through the same process again. You, it would be far better if you could present them with an experience as all, you know, we know that you've been looking at sofas three or four times, maybe it's now time for you to have a conversation with a member of the team, or maybe, uh, maybe, um, you know, perish the thought, maybe it's time we offered you a bit of a discount to try and get you over the line. So I think that stitching together of third-party data, sorry, I'll say that again because that's not right, but that stitching together of the first-party data that you've got from your third-party tools is probably more important now than it's ever been.
0: Okay. Makes, makes yeah, sense. so
1: even offer somebody a free coffee to come into the store and try the sofa out if they've been looking at the sofa six times.
2: Always a winner. You'd be amazed how much a single cup of coffee can make someone spend five grand on a sofa. <laughs> <laughs> okay, right,
0: so before we come to the final little part of, of this subject, um, I just wanted to touch on the, the org design question. Um, we're talking I guess in a way that says the customer acquisition person is optimizing their own performance we're talking about the way in which certain segments of the organization are using data to make better decisions to enrich the outputs that they create but there'll be some people listening to this podcast who maybe have moved a little beyond that Uh, maybe they even have a data science team of, of, of individuals in white coats or maybe they're aspiring to it. So Mark could you just give us a sense of how the world of data science applies to this kind of subject and what you're, what you're hearing?
1: So I don't think data science is about men in white coats or women in white coats uh, necessarily doing things but it is about people taking a uh, data-led view of the world And really, for me, the purpose of data science is not only to understand this highly technical landscape that we've talked about with, you know, if you've got 20 or 30 different systems working across your digital domains, that you're trying to pull all the data together to get an overview. For me, that's still an analysis job. But the data science bit is really why, you know, you're trying to look at trends, and whilst trends don't necessarily predict the future the past does not predict the future you are at the same time trying to on the basis of statistical probability understand what the next best action you can take on you know somebody in the conversion funnel would actually be either to try and nudge them into the final piece or some other thing that you might wish them to do and so you're trying to change the way that you operate to increase the probability of the outcome that you want Typically it's going to be sale, but it might not be. Um, Then you're also looking at the predictive likelihood of saying, if I offer a special promo at this point in the customer journey, what's the likelihood that it will make any difference? Or um, I'm looking at all this data together, and I'm trying to produce some regression analysis across the whole piece to try and understand the relationships between two completely disparate data sets. and really the point of that is that i'm trying to understand cause and effect from things or in fact a causal effect of a on b or b on a okay.
2: and and i guess my perspective you know i've typically come from smaller organisations and i've always thought data science was a bit of a big company luxury i've always yep. felt it's a little random in that here's a load of data go away and tell me something interesting but i think it's time is upon us and i think all companies, large or small, should be thinking about what they can derive from their data. The critical thing is that it isn't random. The critical thing is that you direct it to issues that you know are current and that will make a difference. So it's no longer a, just a large company luxury.
0: Yeah, I think that makes sense. I think we, we talked before about very few, at least UK based retailers and brands are setting or appearing to be set up data science capabilities. There's one or two, and there's maybe one or two good examples. But for most, it's about a progression from using data to make good decisions that become elevated. But I guess our advice to most people would be to avoid the temptation to try to run. Walking will get you a long way down yeah. the journey. Yeah,
1: I mean, there, there are lots of things in analytics that you can add in and you can make sure that you're covering off. So, like the impact of availability on... Uh, conversion rate or making sure that you have margin analysis thrown in with your web analytics so that you have an understanding of the impact on that. but web analytics and all a lot of this data and analytics side is not a precise science that's one another important thing to think about this that we're trying to identify trends and the causes of trends. We're not trying to say this is the absolute answer you know there's always a disparity between the finance recording and the analytics recording. On a transaction you get different number of transactions because the finance system cuts off at midnight and the web analytics might not cut off until 1am so there's a there's a difference um, and you just have to kind of accept the nature of the beast on some of those sorts of things but data science will also become increasingly important because it's going to be the lifeblood of your ai systems if you are using ai in any shape or form and ai is becoming much more prevalent within the mass market um, because the engines are now out there to do it, but you've got to feed them some data. So that's gonna come from all these sorts of systems that we've
2: been talking about. And and I think my final point on this uh, would be picking up what Mark said is, not only is data science not a precise subject, it's almost impossible that you will reach a decision where there is a definitive right and wrong answer. All this is about is trying to improve your probability of making better decisions and then identifying whether or not you have made a better decision.
0: Well, what a way to end. Thank you. That was great. Um, Thank you to my guests, David and Mark. And uh, thank you, our listeners, for listening to this episode. We look forward to speaking to you again on the next one.
2: Thank you. Thanks.